All right, well that video, if you, if you weren't counting, can we get some lights up here? That highlighted five different groups that are open right now, and the cool thing is we have far more groups than that to join. Some of them men's groups, some of them women's groups, couples groups. We have like four support groups, support and recovery groups for maybe specific issues that you might be facing too. So if you want to get connected, this is your chance. So scan the QR code. Literally take your phone out right now. You're not going to upset me if you're doing it while I'm talking. If you want to meet some people and do life with some others here at Wellspring, this is a great opportunity. Go scan that code and then click on the small groups link and you'll just put in your info with whatever you're interested in, all the different groups, and then someone from church will get back to you soon. So please do that if you're looking to meet some people here at church. All right, I'm gonna pray for us. Um, at this time, I'd like to go ahead and invite the worship team up for them to get situated uh, before we continue with our service. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. God, we worship you today. What a privilege it is to gather here, Lord, with so many brothers and sisters and to proclaim your greatness and to give you the glory and the honor that you deserve. God, I, I pray for every single person that might be on the fence in terms of getting connected and doing life with some people and entrusting their heart um, to some families and individuals in this church. God, I pray that today you would nudge them and that they would take that first step uh, to do that, God, and to be vulnerable. You did not create us to live in isolation but in community with others, Lord. And so I ask that you would move hearts today, however you see fit, Lord, and I pray that today um, you would be glorified as we celebrate your greatness and your goodness. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Let's stand and continue in worship. Yeah. 
take some time before we got into our set a little bit um, to focus our hearts a little bit. There's a, there's a couple stories that I want to key in on in the New Testament of two different ways, um, two different avenues that this happened. Uh, first, both are resurrections, and the way that the resurrections happen is um, back in the day, they would put burial cloths over you, like when you were dead, they put burial cloths over you to signify like you're dead. You're gonna you're gonna stink. The burial clothes are a, they're basically they're a symbol of death, right? And so um, there's two different stories that I want to key in on today. One is this man named Lazarus, and when Lazarus went into the grave, he had his burial cloths on, and he came out of the grave. And if you know the story, he was wearing the burial cloths when he when he came out of the tomb. And Jesus says, take them off. The second is Jesus. And when Jesus goes down into the tomb, he comes out and the burial claws aren't there. They're, they're not on him, sorry. <laughs> they're in the tomb and they're folded, signifying that, hey, he's no longer dead. Like there's no need for this burial cloth because he's going somewhere. And this morning, I, there's this picture that, uh, kept running through my mind that a lot of us today, me included, <laughs> we're walking around with our burial clothes on. Our burial clothes are sig signifying our sin. And what are we walking around with that Jesus has already freed us from this morning? Jesus is wanting to free you from something, whether it's your own pride, whether it's an addiction, whether it's something. He's wanting to free you from something, and he's already done it. He's already resurrected you but you're choosing to keep your burial clothes on and stay in that dead space. And so this morning, if you need to sit down, if you need to take a minute, focus your heart. We're gonna sing songs about just like praising God. 
about praising him before our breakthrough, about your glory is just so beautiful this morning. And so I don't know if you need to hear those words this morning. All of us need to hear those words, but I don't know if it's going to hit you in a different way this morning because you know, you know internally that you are walking around dead and you're walking around a dead man when Jesus has already freed you from this. So let's sing this song. Life is yours.
Thank you for who you are and that you're a God that gives and you're a God that loves. This morning, would you break down our walls? Would you teach us to be like you and to be humble and gentle as we go into a world that is lost and is broken? God, may we first acknowledge that we're lost and we're broken and we are in such a need of you. So would you teach us to be like you? Teach us to love you. Teach us to love the world like you loved us. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Yeah, I will. All right, all elementary kids are dismissed if they're not already gone. Well, to say that my world has been rocked this past year would be quite an understatement. But for those of you that don't know me well, you might need some context for that to make sense. I grew up in a conservative Christian family, went to church every Sunday, and attended a private Christian school for 12 years. And I am deeply indebted to many teachers, friends, and mentors throughout my childhood. And like some of you, I grew up in a church culture and really a Christian culture that operated with the general belief that life was black and white. Gray areas did not exist. There are certain things you either did or did not do as a Christian. Don't have sex before marriage. Stay away from alcohol regardless of your age, and don't listen to secular music. I remember even having a youth group bonfire night where we were told to bring our secular CDs and burn them on the altar of the Lord, and some people lost a lot of money. They brought the big old cases, right? I guess the thought was that you would be more spiritually mature if you didn't listen to Metallica. I like Metallica, though, so amen. <laughs> Maybe I'm the heathen. At least there's one other person here. Another message I caught in my childhood, just being honest, is that if you love Jesus, you must vote Republican. Amen. (laughs) You guys are killing me. I'm not bashing Republicans. I'm just saying what I was taught growing up. Don't hang out with people that would lead you astray, Justin. Protect your heart. Distance yourself from the drinkers. The smokers, sexually immoral people, excuse me, homosexuals, they're kind of a bad influence. Don't, Don't be impacted by them. Perhaps you heard the phrase, love the sinner and hate the sin. Anyone heard that one? Three people, come on. Well, it's hard to love the sinner when you distance yourself from them and set up a life that rarely, if ever, puts you in contact with them. I recently came across this quote by Bible scholar Preston Sprinkle. He said, instead of love the sinner and hate the sin, let's love the sinner, hate our own sin, 
and invite fellow sinners to walk with us arm in arm toward the only one who knew no sin. And everything came to a head for me a few months ago. And what I'm about to say is going to make some of you uncomfortable. So this is your warning. I'm currently in school working on my master's degree to become a licensed mental health counselor. I'm studying under Dr. John Townsend. He's easily regarded as one of the world's leading Christian psychologists. And the assignment that I was given at my Christian university was to record a role-play counseling session with one of my female classmates, where as the client, I was to act as a 40-year-old homosexual male who had recently contracted HIV and was unable to work because of my declining health. My stomach dropped. Talk about out of my comfort zone. And that assignment was a turning point for me because I immersed myself in taking on the character and talked about what it would be like to be a gay Christian with HIV who grew up in a Christian family and the shame and the embarrassment that that man would feel because he wouldn't know who to talk to or who would love him without judgment. It's one thing to judge people from a distance. It's quite another to literally put yourself in their shoes and try to at least understand what it might be like to be them. And that assignment softened my heart for people in the LGB community. And although I still have my convictions on God's design for marriage, I still have those convictions, but it shattered some of my conscious and unconscious biases that I've had throughout my entire life toward that community. Whether it's racism, discrimination, sexual orientation, gender identity, abortion, political allegiance, or whatever it is that gets you fired up, all of us have much to learn about the winsome way of Jesus. Rather than burning bridges, throwing truth bombs at groups of people that we disagree with, or distancing ourselves from our enemies, Perhaps we can look at how Jesus interacted with some of the most marginalized people of his time and seek to emulate his approach. And today we're going to examine the well-known story of the adulterous woman. So go ahead and open your Bibles with me to John 8. It's page 1523 if you're using a pew Bible. John 8, verse 1. It kind of starts at a weird time, so we'll read the verse prior to it. It says, Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. 
But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. So Jesus is hanging out in the temple courts and all the people gather around him and he begins to teach them. Throughout my life, I was way off. I don't know why, but when I envisioned this story, I thought of it as kind of a small crowd, maybe 10 to 15 people. Um, I was definitely wrong. There were literally hundreds of people, if not thousands of people present, okay, at this scene, present with Jesus in the temple. And here come the self-righteous Pharisees, the religious leaders with a sneaky plan to trap Jesus in front of this massive crowd of people. And if you were here a few weeks ago, you might remember that Pastor Bob briefly mentioned this story. Um, He discussed how the Old Testament book of Leviticus, um, which is where the Jews get their law, it said that if someone was caught committing adultery, both parties, the man and the woman, should be put to death. So the Pharisees find their opportunity and they catch a woman in the act. The religious leaders drag this woman into this public space, causing a scene to publicly shame her. And since she was caught in the act, she was most likely naked. Imagine that. Naked in front of hundreds, maybe thousands of people. I cannot imagine the humiliation and the fear that she was experiencing. And as hundreds of people watched this unfold, the Pharisee said, Teacher, Jesus, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. Moses commanded to stone such a person. Now what do you say? They want to know, Jesus, are you going to submit and obey the law that we follow? Or do you somehow think that you're above the law? But Jesus isn't stupid. He knows what they're trying to do. And the law commanded that both the man and the woman be killed when caught in the act. And yet this story mentions nothing of the man. So the fact that they only brought the woman is proof that this is nothing more than a ridiculous trap to get people to turn against Jesus, and he knows it. And so what does Jesus do? How does he respond? It's said that he bends down, and he starts to doodle in the ground, which I think is hilarious. And what that signified was Jesus saying, I'm removing myself from the conversation. I'm so not interested in what you're doing that I'm doodling in the ground like a little child does when they're bored. That's how little I could care about what you're trying to do to me and how much I'm not a fan of what you're trying to do to this woman. And seeing that Jesus was 
clearly not interested in their spectacle. They kept questioning him. What's your response, teacher? What do you think? What do you say? Jesus stands up, says, let any one of you without sin be the first to cast a stone. And silence from the crowd. Who can respond to that? And one by one, people walked away. And with a crowd this size, it probably took some time for that crowd to leave, for the temple to clear out. And the woman, most likely still naked and ashamed, she can finally breathe. But what's next? How is this all going to unfold for her? She had to wonder. Everyone's gone. The only person that remains there in her presence is Jesus. It says he straightens up and he asks her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Imagine being the woman in this moment. And I want us to talk about that. I want to get some thoughts from you guys. If you were the woman in this moment, and Jesus said those words and treated you that way in front of hundreds of people, how would you respond to that? What thoughts and emotions would be firing on all cylinders inside of you if you were the woman and Jesus treated you like this? The floor's open. I'd love to hear some people. What would you be walking away feeling and thinking if you were that woman? And men can answer too, right? Somebody. What's that? Relief? Okay, yes, absolutely. Relief? What else? Confusion? Okay, it's like, whoa, I can see some of that too. Why, well, right? Why do I get this special treatment a little bit? Yeah, what else? Okay, yeah. How am I going to live? Maybe some fear. Yeah, right, absolutely. Somebody else? Yes. Feeling extremely loved. Yeah, loved and, yeah, cared for, for sure. Anyone else? If Jesus didn't condemn the adulterous woman, how do we think that we can condemn others? What gives us the right to think that we can do that? He didn't condemn her because he knew her story wasn't over. He condemns the sin, no doubt about it. Leave your life of sin. That cannot be disputed. He condemns the sin, but he doesn't condemn her. The ultimate time for condemnation is going to come when every single one of us stand before God, right? On judgment day. And the eternal judge is the one who decides, right? who's going to heaven or who's not. He's the only judge whose opinion matters. And his grace and forgiveness are sufficient for those of us in Christ until the day that we meet him in paradise. Our task, the mission that God has entrusted to us, is to love people well. 
to draw them to the Savior who offers redemption. When we view everyone we meet, even those that we dislike, with the mindset that their story isn't over, it takes the unnecessary pressure off of us to try to save them, and it removes our tendency to judge them because as long as Jesus is still king and they're alive, hope, healing, and redemption are possible. Let's be a bridge for others to encounter Christ, not a roadblock. And Jesus' response to this woman was so winsome because he perfectly balanced grace and truth. He first extended grace to her by silencing the crowd, right? Silencing those that were trying to condemn her. And he said he didn't condemn her either. But you might say, as the religious leaders did, she's so deserving of death, right? She's she's deserving of death. That's what the law says. Well, guess what? Jesus is the one that calls the shots. He is the judge, right, who makes the decisions. And after melting her heart with kindness and compassion, that came first. After melting her heart with kindness and compassion, then he spoke truth to her. Go and leave your life of sin. He loves her where she's at, but doesn't let her stay there. And he calls her into relationship with God and to leave a life of obedience. And although I'm not the woman in this story, I have been the recipient of receiving grace like this from brothers here in this church. There are men in this church who I have sat in front of and confessed dark, sinful thoughts and actions that I was ashamed to bring to light. And every single time I've been met with the same sentiment. I'm trying to find some of those guys. Say, no, I'm looking at you. I've been met with the same sentiment. Justin, you are safe here. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are free. Now go and sin no more. I don't deserve a grace like that. We do not deserve the grace that he gives us. It does not make sense and that it's why it's it's called a mystery. We don't get what we deserve because that would be death. Instead, we get forgiveness, love, set free from the power of sin, being adopted into God's family, and the spirit of God residing in us with the promise of eternal life. And that's just a short list. Bob hit on this recently in a sermon, and it's worth noting again. Pay attention to this. Just as the crowd was watching Jesus, paying attention, hey, what's he going to do in this moment? This can go a lot of different ways, right? Just as they're watching, people are watching us. Okay? Your coworkers, your neighbors, right? People in restaurants, they're watching us. They're watching you. They're watching what you post on social media. They're watching how you treat marginalized people. And they're asking themselves, can I trust this person or these people with my heart? 
Can I trust them with my pain, questions, and anger? Will they take the time to hear my story and not just judge my current choices? Look at John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus wasn't sent here to condemn the world. And the same is true of us. Jesus didn't save your soul so that you can condemn the souls of others. He wants to use you to join him in his mission of saving the world and reconciling lost people to the Father. That's his mission. That's his heart towards you. I want us to look at another passage of Scripture. Open up to Luke 6. Um, It's page 1649. And this is, um, we're going to start in verse 37. This is Jesus speaking. And I want us to be aware that the passage right before this is when Jesus commanded us to love our enemies and to do good to those that hate us. Okay? Not do bad not hurt or discriminate or harm people that don't like us or we don't like, not be passive towards them, actually do good to them. And then he launches into this, Luke six thirty seven. Jesus said, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Church, I want to be clear that we are all the adulterous woman in this story. All of us. Because every single one of us is an adulterer of God. Every day, we forsake his love, seeking pleasure, worth, success, or comfort in someone or something other than God. We all sin, and regardless of what sins keep us specifically from receiving his love and extending it to others, God knows the motives of our hearts. We can appear holy and righteous, but he sees right through that. He sees the pride and the self-righteousness and the judgment that might be swirling inside of us. Bob said this recently too in a series, but I'll say it again. Pride and self-righteousness are the opposite of winsomeness. 
Pride and self-righteousness is the opposite of winsomeness. Those are the two things we cannot stand, possibly more than any other sin in others, but often are unaware of it in ourselves. I heard a pastor recently say (laughs) that we all have two favorite sins, one to condemn the most and then one to commit the most. Hmm. Guys, we don't ignore the speck in our brother's eyes. First, we address the glaring issues in our own heart, right? We turn the mirror, if you will, towards ourselves and let God examine who we are and how we're operating. Search me, God. Know my heart. Show me, is there any offensive way in me? And sometimes when we do that, God shifts our judgmental perspective towards brothers and sisters. Guys, and in addition to us being the adulterous woman, all of us here today are also the stone throwers. All of us. We all have enemies or at least people or groups that we despise or dislike. Regardless of where we stand on church issues, political issues, racial issues, whatever it might be, all of us have groups of people that we look down upon because they stand for the opposite things that we value. Not all of us are vocal about our enemies. Some of us might be, I don't know, I I hope not. But for many of us, it's more internalized. And it's For some of us, it's so wrapped up into who we are, it's all we've ever known. Unconscious biases is the technical word. When we value being right more than loving people well, we've missed the heart of God. When we're so obsessed with being right and our stance being the right one, that we treat people with disrespect and discriminatory actions and thoughts, we've missed the heart of God. To take it further, pastor and author Pete Scazzaro said, for Christians, the key distinguishing mark of spiritual maturity is the way that we love our enemies. The way we love our enemies is how we measure our spiritual maturity. Based on that definition, how mature are we? How mature are you? You know, I was thinking recently, it's kind of weird, I was thinking about heaven and how I think there's going to be quite a few of us when we get there who are surprised at who's there and who's not there. I, I really do. I think heaven's going to be filled with people that we thought wouldn't be there because they share different views or stances than the things that we were just really passionate about the little hills that we died on throughout our lives. And the flip side is true because Jesus told us in Matthew 7, there's going to be a lot of people that stand before him on judgment day and said, look at all the great things I did in your name. And the father will look at them and say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So to put that in common terms, That means there's going to be a lot of people who spent their lives in church pews who aren't going to be 
welcomed into heaven. Maybe they did good things, but their hearts were far from God. And that is a sobering thought. Church, just like Jesus was to the adulterous woman, let's be winsome in the way that we engage and interact with others, especially our enemies, the people that we dislike, people that we try to avoid. Let's love them where they're at, even if we completely disagree with them. We love them by seeking to have a relationship with them. Do you know how rare it is to be the one that offers or to be the one that receives a message like this from a, per- Ooh. From a perceived enemy? Hey, I'd like to invite you to coffee. I just want to get to know you and your story. You know how rare that is to offer that to an enemy or to receive that from a perceived enemy? Get to know someone. Get to know them with no agenda. Bob Goff says, loving people means caring without an agenda. As soon as we have an agenda, it's not love anymore. Jesus, just spend time with people that rub you wrong simply because they are a human being created in the image of God. And like you, they have dignity and worth. Whether everyone around you has told you otherwise throughout your life. Let's be bridges, build bridges with people that we despise and see what God does. We're not the ones that change their hearts anyway. Let's leave that up to God. Let him do the rest. And guys, I want to begin to wrap it up. I got some questions. Don't put them up there quite yet. Um, I came across several questions this past week from, I think, a a pastor online just kind of talking about our beliefs and how Questions to ask ourselves when we start feeling really passionate about our beliefs and our specific convictions. Questions to consider to make sure that we're not harming people and that our motives are right. So I'm going to read these. You can take a screenshot. Some of these rocked my world. So questions to ask ourselves regarding our beliefs, especially about polarizing issues. Ask yourself, how might I be wrong? How might the passion of my convictions regarding an issue be causing me to ignore errors about my convictions themselves? Ask, have I ever actually talked with people on the front lines of the issues I claim to have strong convictions about? How might the practice of my beliefs be harming others, harming myself? How do my beliefs cause me to treat others, especially those I disagree with, with cruelty or compassion? Do I love my beliefs more than I actually love people? If Jesus showed up right now, would he even be allowed to change my mind about certain things? Even just a little. Those last two rocked me. Questions like these prevent us from turning our beliefs and convictions into the fuel that we use to condemn others, whether externally or internally. Let's, like Jesus, let's be bridge builders with lost and hurting people. Let's live lives that evoke so much curiosity to an outside world 
but they can't help but question, what is different about you? And when they ask, let's be bold enough to tell them how Jesus has changed our life rather than telling them how they should change theirs. And I'm going to put that up on the slides. I don't want you to forget that one because that's so important. We have that next slide, maybe. Let's be bold enough to tell others how Jesus has changed our life rather than how we think they need to change theirs. And church, remember that regardless who we encounter that rubs us wrong, whose lifestyle we completely disagree with, remember that their story is not over. Jesus is still king. His spirit is still alive and active. And let's trust that he will be the one to captivate their heart and sweep them away into his river of love and abundant life. No one's story is over. What a hopeful perspective. May we be winsome like Jesus, living with such grace and truth that the world cannot help but take notice. Amen? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, this message was not an easy one to write as I was reminded and had to repent of so many of my conscious and unconscious biases towards individuals and groups of people who I disagree with. God, forgive me. Forgive me for my judgment and condemning thoughts and maybe my passivity for stand up for people that were marginalized. God, I know everybody's all over the map with maybe what they're thinking or what is stirring inside them. God, I pray overall, I ask for a spirit of humility to just take over every single one of us. To admit we don't know all, we don't have all the answers, and to admit that maybe we are wrong or perhaps approaching some things in the wrong way, God. Lord, help us to operate with the belief and knowing that nobody's story is over. As long as there's still breath in their lungs, you can work miracles. You can change lives, God. Lord, help us to love people deeply. And once we've earned that right to be heard, we can speak truth to them rather than just launching bombs and judgment and condemnation over people that oftentimes we don't even know. God, help us to be bridge builders for people to encounter you rather than roadblocks. God, we love you. We give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.